What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Balls, Buckets, and Bullet podcast. Joining me today for his debut is a good friend of mine. Some might call him Redbeard. Others might call him Buffalo Chicken Douchebag. It's my good friend, Eric Stairs. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Uh, just extremely thrilled that we were finally able to uh, get on the same page with this oh, whole thing. I know. All right, so we got a ton to talk about today. So we gotta, we're going to talk about the big fight, the Kyrie trade. So we got to get through another NFL division breakdown really quick before we can get in all that good stuff. So let's go ahead and get started. We have the NFC West up today. First, we're going to talk about the Cardinals, who last year went go 7-8-1. They had first-round draft pick Hassan Reddick, linebacker out of Temple. Uh, Carson Palmer, quarterback, quarterback uh, throws for 4,233 yards, completes 61.0% of his passes, 26 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. You know, the old-timer is entering what I think might be his last season at age 37, finished 19th in scoring, and you wonder if it's not if, if it was uh, not having some of his receivers uh, each week that caused that, you know. He was without Michael Floyd, who had his DUI problems, John Brown, who dealt with sickle cell um, treatment, you know, if this offensive line can keep uh, Palmer from getting hit, which honestly almost caused him to retire er- uh, already, then I think the offense could return to uh, the version that was in 2015, which was much better. You know, the no rushing ability, I think, keeps him from being a top 10 pick for me or even having a chance at a top 10 season. But I like his ability to rack up some 300-yard games, which would and I would pick him around QB 16 or so for uh, good matchups. What do you think, Stairs? Yeah, I don't think that Carson Palmer is the kind of guy that we're looking for to uh, spearhead our offensive efforts um, on our fantasy teams, but uh, he's definitely a savvy quarterback, and you can trust him to to not make some boneheaded decisions like a lot of the guys out there. But, you know, with that being said, uh, the loss of, of Floyd and then uh, I, I just don't see a whole lot of top-tier uh, receiver talent on this team, so... Uh, we'll see. We'll see how he does. I think that he could definitely be a, a good option if your number one quarterback is going against a, a really tough defense or uh, secondary. Yeah. So if there is a good option, it's Larry Fitzgerald. Last year, he uh, caught 107 balls, 1,023 yards, six touchdowns. The 33-year-old led the league in receptions last year, which I think is remarkable uh, over Antonio Brown, even, even though it was only by once. But still, he led the team in yards and he finished 11th in scoring. He does most of his work out of the slot, which generates a lot of targets and consistent receptions, which I think skyrockets his value in PPR league leagues. Despite his age, I think he should provide similar production last uh, uh, similar production as last year. He's been known though to decline at the end of the season. Last year, weeks one through ten, he scored eighteen point five six points per game. Weeks eleven through seventeen, only ten point nine six points per game. I would draft him around wide receiver twenty as like a wide receiver two. But what do you think about Larry Fitzgerald, and do you think he can keep it up uh, going into his thirty third year or thirty third year of age? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that we're going to see a trend uh, across this division of some some talented slot receivers, and uh, obviously Larry heads up the pack. And you know, I, I've got him about the same, somewhere between twenty and twenty five uh, on the wide receiver list, but. Uh, you know, he's he's getting old, but he's a shoe in Hall of Famer. He's a top 10, you know, receptions guy of all time. So I don't I don't see him uh, 
having a down season by any means. All right. So one of uh, Bruce Arians' favorite weapons is a deep ball threat. Um, before it was John Brown. He had 39 receptions, 517 yards, two touchdowns last year. But uh, you really suck- suffered from the sickle cell treatment that they couldn't quite identify till later in the season. Um, you know, they said that they have it back in control, but now he currently has like a quad in- injury and he hasn't been able to get back on the field. Um, you know, if everything was a go, he could have, you know, and he had the same speed, he could be the exact weapon that Bruce Arians likes in this offense. Um, he finished 25th in scoring in 2015, and I would pick him around 40 if, if it wasn't for this, um, for this pick. But I mean, this, this injury is really, uh, it's concerning. Uh, they have already said that the sickle cell treatment hurts his ability to come back from injuries and makes it take longer. So I drop his down his value down to wide receiver 50 or even lower. If he can't go, I like JJ Nelson. He had 34 receptions, 568 yards, six touchdowns. Um, if he's out, yeah, if, if uh, John Brown can't stay on the field, he's a very similar receiver as is Jerron Brown um, to, to stay in that role. And the, the Cardinals do like to one wide receiver, uh, three wide receiver sets. They do it 70% of the time. So he's definitely wait maybe worth a super super late round pick in really really deep leagues, uh, and he's probably also a good target in a daily fantasy as well. What do you think about um, the running game stairs about David Johnson? Uh, I don't think that there needs to be a whole lot of discussion about David Johnson. I think this guy's a, a total bull out there. He uh, he does a great job. He he runs low to the ground. He's very powerful um, and. I think that a lot of David Johnson's value is derived from being able to receive passes. Absolutely. Um, he's one of the best pass catching running backs in the league. And you know, that's why he's going number one. Yeah, <laughs> so last year, I don't, don't think there's last year. 1000. don't think there's a whole yeah, lot. Well, last year, 1,239 rushing yards, 4.2 yards per carry, 16 touchdowns. And then they're receiving 80 receptions, 879 yards, four touchdowns. He's an, he's an absolute elite producer. He's a three-down back. Uh, it's only him and Le'Veon Bell that are really at that caliber right now. I mean, he scored a ridiculous 20 total touchdowns while being – and was even second in receiving yards on the team. Um, there's really – yeah, like you said, there's really nothing else to say. You're, you're picking him either first or second, um, and you really can't do it wrong. I honestly would probably pick him first off the board uh, just because of – just just to, just because Bell has been known to get into a little bit of trouble here and there, but honestly, you can't really go wrong. You must handcuff him, though, with Chris Johnson, who is looking like he's going to be the backup. So let's talk about our predictions for this team. I think they're going to go about nine and seven. Uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully this wide receiver crew can steady out. And uh, I think this offense will have a chance to getting this team to a wild card spot, along with the defense that should enjoy Tyron Matthew back in. So what do you think, Steers? For sure, I like this defense a lot. Um, they they lost some good players, you know, DJ Swearinger and uh, Calais Campbell, but I really like the addition of Carlos Dansby uh, at linebacker. Um, him and Marcus Golden should do a good job uh, in the middle of the field there. Um, and I think the offense will be fine. I think that uh, either Jerron Brown or JJ Nelson will be able to step up and do some damage. Uh, we definitely know that David Johnson will. So. Uh, you know, and especially with two other pretty weak teams in this division, I, I see them being able to win at least eight games and maybe make a run at uh, at the wild card. For sure. So got a ton to talk about. So let's try to get get going here, Lesso. Let's sure. talk about the Rams, uh, four and twelve last year. They trade for Sammy Watkins and add uh, Robert Woods as well. And during the off season, mm-hmm. 
Uh, they lost Kenny Britt. So let's talk about the quarterback uh, dilemma, I would call it at this point. Um, so Jared Goff last year threw for 1,089 yards, completed 54.6% of his passes, five touchdowns and seven interceptions. It's not great. You know, in the seven games he appeared, he did not look like the first overall pick that the Rams were hoping for. Uh, this offense had, you know, had a struggling offensive line and a subpar receiving core, which resulted in the Rams being dead last in points per game last year with only 14 points per game. The Rams have definitely tried to help Goff out by adding Sammy Watkins, Andrew Whitworth, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Gerald Everett, John Sullivan, but it remains to seem, you know, if, if it'll work out like they hope. Um, for now, I would totally stay away for fantasy uh, for a long time ahead, but. Do you think Jared Goff can do it, Stairs? I think that we're going to see an improvement from Jared Goff. I think that the biggest difference maker in this situation is going to be uh, excuse me, Sean McVay. Uh, we saw that he was able to work with Kirk Cousins and kind of bring him from being a fringe quarterback to really one of the top players uh, under center in the league, and at least last year. And uh, they're they're trying to add some offensive weapons for him. And I like the addition of uh, Andrew Whitworth there on the offensive line. So I I think we'll definitely see some improvement, but definitely not going to recommend picking him up. All right. So I'm going to talk about the receiving options rapid fire quick. Uh, Sammy Watkins, obviously, um, I think the value of Watkins definitely goes down. I think there's a significant drop in the quarterback play from Tyrod to Jared Goff. You know, there's still a massive hole in this offense because of the loss of Kenny Britt, who was the number one receiver for the for the Rams last year. And even Britt had like, he had 111 targets. He did have over a thousand yards. Um, Watkins should try to lead the outside receiver role and soak up most of those targets. Obviously, the issue is Watkins, uh, uh, you know, the, his value lies in getting those deep balls and Goff doesn't really like to throw deep. Um, he's last in air yards per attempt. He was third to last in completions of 15 or more yards. You know, I think it comes down to this offense won't be able to score much, won't be able to sustain drives. They scored half as many touchdowns last year as the Bills. I think this just sinks his value, but, you know, still with someone with his talent and a lot of targets should be worth about a wide receiver 30 or so in PPR, um, you know, pretty much only as like a flex option. You do get a lot of risk, though, with uh, his health history, health issues and injury history. Another couple of receivers, Robert Woods. Um, I think he should help get Goff get, uh, as another outside receiver and we'll look at soak up a lot of those targets as well uh, that used to go to Kenny Britt. Unless, you know, though, you're in a deep, deep, deep PPR league, he likely won't be drafted. Another one, Cooper Cup. Uh, he looked a lot better. He looked really good in the past preseason game. Um, definitely could actually possibly lead the Rams in targets. So what do you think about Goff's receiving options? Um, there's... I agree with all of your analysis. I like Cooper Cup the best, to be truthful with you. Uh, I know we've got a really small sample size in the preseason, but we saw Goff go to Cooper Cup on four of his eight or third downs uh, in the most recent um, post or preseason game. Excuse me. Um, he caught eight of eight out of ten targets for 105 yards at a touchdown. So I really think that we could see some. Cole Beasley esque uh, <laughs> production out of out of Cooper Cup, and then yeah, I agree about Sammy Watkins. If you're willing to to gamble on him uh, and his health and his ability to catch the ball downfield, um, I'm not going to pick him. But 
don't think that uh, it's the worst pick in the world if if you can get him in a late. All right, round. so let's talk about the main weapon in this offense that you'll likely be drafting if uh, if you are going to pick someone. It's, and that's Todd Gurley, 885 yards last year, 3.2 yards per carry, six touchdowns in their receiving game, 43 receptions, 327 yards. He finished 15th in running back scoring, but honestly had a down year. The line struggled to create space. They only allowed 1.6 yards before contact, which which was seventh lowest. You know, most coordinators know the run game is pretty much all they have. And so I think they can focus all their attention on the inside. I think Gurley would benefit by a better season from golf, which would open up the offense in general. Um, Gurley did have a decent role in the receiving game, you know, which was actually pretty surprising. I was looking back in the stats, which I think definitely helps his value in PPR. Personally, I'd pick him around RB14, uh, maybe a little higher now with the news of Zeke that is likely still going to be suspended for that long. Um, but you, you definitely going to have to hope that that volume alone can get him the production you need. What do you think? I agree. Uh, my biggest thing with Gurley, again, is health. I, I really tend to stay away with guys. He had that injury to his knee whenever he played at Georgia. Um, and I think that those knee injuries are taking time bombs for, for pro running backs. But if we're talking about value, I definitely love the fact that he was more involved with the passing game. He went from, uh, 21 receptions in 2015 to 43 and 16. You mentioned that he had, uh, more than double the targets and double the receptions, uh, about double the yards, uh, in receiving. So I, I think that that raises his value a lot. So, yeah, I'm going to have him about running back 12 or 13. Yeah, so our, my prediction for this team, uh, it's been going up a little little bit, little bit. Here's they keep making these moves. So I think they go about 5 and 11, um, which is a much good, you know, big improvement off last year's season. Uh, even though it's only one extra win, I think that, you know, it, it's starting to matter that they're getting out of the, of the gutter. Um, you know, even though Rook Chamave is a rookie head coach, I still like his offensive mind and I like Wade Phillips uh, as far as the defense goes. What's your prediction? Yeah, I, I also had five and 11 written down. Um, I think that we're just we're going to see this team get a little bit better. I'm not sure if we're going to really see them burst onto the scene anytime soon. But uh, I definitely like them improving. This All year. right, so let's talk about the 49ers now. Last year they went two and fourteen. They had first round pick Solomon Thomas, defensive tackle out of Stanford, Ruben Foster, linebacker out of Alabama. They also had Pierre Garcon, Tim Hightower, and Brian Horn in the offseason. And of course, the main player they lost is Colin Kaepernick. So let's talk about the quarterback situation right now. Brian Horrier. You know, in the four full games he played, he actually averaged three hundred and twenty-nine point five yards per game, which is pretty remarkable um he averaged 1.5 touchdowns per game uh, and no interceptions with chicago last year which is pretty insane i uh, did not think that he did that did that well looking you know just off the top of my head but yeah, i think the addition of pierre garcon helps uh, especially because the these uh the, the 49ers and the rams both really wanted him um, but not in a significant way you know uh playing for a team that's rebuilding i think which has few weapons. I don't think he's likely going to be drafted unless in like rare two quarterback leagues, but I think he's more of like a, you know, like maybe like a tournament hail Mary for some weeks in like DraftKings daily fantasy, you know, he'll definitely be an under five K quarterbacks for some weeks. So what do you think stairs? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, 
you know, being around Drew Clark, of course, we have to know that uh, the Bears actually did not stink offensively last year. They were just terrible at, at getting the ball into the end zone was the biggest issue. So, you know, you kind of see actually that same exact tandem moving from Chicago over to uh, over to San Francisco. And, you know, we've seen what Brian Hoyer can do. It's pretty, uh, pretty average, but not terrible. Yeah. So, <laughs> again, you know, fantasy value, I'm giving him nothing. But uh, in terms of the actual team, better than uh, Matt Barkley. Three touchdowns. He led the team in receptions and yards last year, lining up almost always in the slot. Uh, the issue is I'm not sure where he's going to line up right now. Uh, you know, he also runs out of the slot. And like I said, Pierre Garçon does too. Shanahan clearly wanted Garçon on the team for a reason. So there, there's an, there could be an issue. But I don't know. Either way, I don't really see Curly worth a draft pick at this point. But... What do you think, Stairs, about these two receiving options for Brian Hoyer? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't really see anybody that on this receiving core that is worth picking in your draft except for Garcel. Um, you have to take his 2016 numbers with a grain of salt because you have, uh, he, you know, you have Kirk Cousins that was throwing him the ball who ended up being one of the most prolific passers uh, in terms of yards last season. And, you know, you're definitely not going to get that out of Brian Hoyer. But, uh, you know, being a slot receiver and a reliable guy, he's definitely worth worth a pick. I've got him somewhere in between wide receiver 27 and 30. Um, So if if you spend your your top picks on running backs, maybe this guy could be a wide receiver two tops. So let's talk about the main rushing option. Carlos Hyde, 988 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, six touchdowns, 27 receptions, 163 yards in the air, three touchdowns. So he finished 18th in running back scoring last year, but I think he drew a lot of criticism from Shanahan. Uh, He he is quoted as calling him an unfinished product. He's entering a contract year, and so he has to show he can improve and make changes off last season. And honestly, I think I'm, I'm buying into the hype. You know, he changed his diet. He lost he's lost about 15 pounds going into training camp. You know, which is which are all good signs that he's is trying to improve his game. I'd personally pick him in the top 20 of running backs. I think there's some risk that Shanahan might not keep him on the field though. So he's definitely like a very a, not a very risky play, but a risky play. I think he they, he can be a three down back though, which is also pretty rare in this league. And I think you can get him for pretty cheap. So I personally am buying into it, but there is some risk. What do you think of Carlos Hyde stairs? I got him as a nice running back too. I definitely don't think he's someone that you should anchor your offense around. But you know, and, and again, to me, uh, it, there's a lot of value in playing for a good team, just a team that is capable of moving the ball down the field. Uh, and the San Francisco 49ers are not going to be that team this year. So, um, yeah, I got I got him at tops running back too. Uh, personally, I'm going to avoid him in the draft, but if, if he's there um, and you need a running back, then he, he's a safe bet to get you some Absolutely. production. So my prediction for this team is 4-12. and 12. I think it's going to be another rough season. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if multiple quarterbacks start for this team. So what's your prediction for the 2017 for the 49ers stairs? Yeah, I'm gonna give him another two win season. <laughs> I don't. I don't think this division is the most outstanding in the league, but uh, I think that the fact that we had a head coach turnover and a GM turnover and a quarterback turnover, there's gonna be a a lot of getting used to, Definitely. you know, with these players and with this staff. So, um, 
I don't. I, I see them making a run for the number one overall pick. Actually. That's definitely possible. So last team up in this division, Seahawks. Last year they go ten five and one. They had Eddie Lacy, Fat Eddie. Uh, that's quarterback situation. <laughs> <laughs> quarterback situation got Russell Wilson back there. Four thousand two hundred nineteen yards, sixty four point seven percent of his passes, twenty one touchdowns, eleven interceptions, only two hundred fifty nine yards rushing and one touchdown. He finished as the tenth quarterback in scoring. Um, you know, and if you if you and that's if you include the receiving touchdown he had. Um, but what I also noticed is that he finished uh, behind Tyrod Taylor, who is going considerably lower than Russell Wilson. In fact, sometimes not even drafted. Last year, Wilson was plagued by injuries to his uh, hip, I think, and his ankle and MCL last season. Uh, he was, which I think, significantly impacted his rushing stats, uh, which were which were career yeah. low. You know, this did, however, result in much more passes. He set a career high in passing yards. You know, assuming he can come back healthy, he should be able to return to his normal self, I think, with good weapons around him. I think he should go as the fourth or fifth QB off the board. But my problem is what you'd like to have to spend for him, I would much rather wait on quarterback. What do you think, Stairs, of Russell Wilson? Yeah, I like Russell Wilson a lot. My favorite thing about Russell Wilson is that he's played 16 games every season since he's been in the league. But I also uh, I also had in my notes that he had a career low in rushing yards. But that could be due to could be due to those injuries. But it's hard to commit. Well, excuse me. It's uh it's hard to believe that he's going to continue running at that you know 500 yard pace for his entire career. Um, just, it's an NFL quarterback, but I still love him. Uh, I definitely have him in the, in the four to six range for quarterbacks. I love his, uh, his weapons and it is Russell Wilson. He's a smart guy. He's really athletic. Uh, I don't think you can go wrong with picking Russell Wilson as your quarterback. All right. So let's talk about Doug Baldwin last year, 94 receptions, 1,128 yards, seven touchdowns. He set career high in targets, receptions, yards. He finished eighth in wide receiver scoring as the primary beneficiary to Wilson's injuries that kept him throwing more often. Due to his running his routes out of the slot, I think Baldwin should always see a consistent amount of targets. Uh, He likely won't be able to be shadowed by better corners who mostly stick to the outsides. You know, while Seattle's passing game might scale back due to Wilson's health, I still think he should be able to produce and be drafted as a wide receiver one um, or wide receiver two, depending on what your league size is around. And I'd personally pick him around wide receiver 12. Another option out there, Jimmy Graham, uh, 65 receptions, 923 yards, six touchdowns. He finished fourth in scoring coming off a torn patellar tendon. And he played in all 16 games last season, which I think is really important. You know, if he can stay healthy again this year, I think it should be a giant uh, target up the seams for Wilson to throw to, as always. And I think he should maintain his tight end one production. And I would personally pick him the fifth tight end off the board behind Gronk, Kelsey, Olsen, and Reed. So what do you think of Doug Baldwin and Jimmy Graham in this offense stairs? Yeah, I love Doug Baldwin. Uh Obviously, I don't think we're ever going to see that 14 touchdown mark that he had in 2015 again. But, you know, seven TDs in 2016 is nothing to complain about as well as a thousand yards. Um, Again, I continue to harp on injury. Doug Baldwin has only missed two games in his entire career. Um, Jimmy Graham, I was surprised to learn, actually had pretty similar per game production over the first two years that he played with the Seahawks. Um, it seemed like he was a little bit better this past season only because he played more games, but, uh, 
I I was I like Jimmy Graham in the sense that the uh the the downturn in rushing attack from this team did not affect his per game production um in 2016. So I agree about uh definitely tight end 5 for Jimmy Graham and then Doug Baldwin I got him at wide receiver wow. 9. All right. So uh definitely if you have a, a, a wider league, definitely uh, a wide receiver one for uh, for. Dunn. All right, so let's talk about the running options. First up, Fat Eddie. Uh, I think an injury angle kind con- of caused him to miss games at first, and I think uh, then that that's when the weight issue started to get in. Um, you know, and I, honestly, they pretty much kicked him off the team. So now he's with Seattle, and they honestly went to great lengths to keep him in shape. They offered bonuses for him losing weight. As of August 7th, it looks like he had met all weight requirements. But in the first prison game, he was not atop the depth chart, which is pretty concerning. Um, he was instead behind Thomas Rawls for the primary, who had the primary duties. You know, lots of risk. Risk as uh, if he can win the job. Obviously, Rawls got hurt, and so Lady Lacy is back in there now. Um, but he is, you know, he's, he is going fairly cheap around the eighth round of most drafts, and but he does have virtually no receiving role, which I think significantly hurts his PPR value in league so the, the other option thomas rawls 349 3.3.2 yards per carry three touchdowns he cracked a fibula which caused him to miss seven games and he's currently on top of the depth chart i believe last time i checked but there's no guarantee he will still be there when the season starts he's also currently being drafted outside the top 50 of running backs so i think he offers a potential uh starter which you know you can get for really cheap you know, one of these backs is going to have to emerge and get fantasy production. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying, you know, it's it's pretty cheap to get the starting running back with between Lacey and Rawls, which um, I, I mean, I, I would personally buy into just because I think this offense will be able to scare, score a good amount of points. So who do you think wins the starting role? And what do you think about these two running back stairs? That's a really tough question. Um, I, I like I like Eddie Lacey. Yeah, I think that he's the more talented back. I've got some reservations about him. He hasn't really had a, a full season's worth of load since 2014. Obviously, his production has fluctuated with how uh, how in shape Fat he's been. In. And yeah, the way I'm seeing the Seahawks running game going down is a similar way that we see the New Orleans Saints receiving going down. I, I don't think that there's going to be a single person that really dominates uh, the, the touches. Even even Procise as the third back is not out of the question to get some touches. So um, I'll say I'll say Lacey is going to be the top back for this team. Uh, definitely not going to be the same guy he had. He was, excuse me, on the uh, on the Packers. But, uh, yeah, I got Lacey around running back. All right. So my prediction for this team is 11-5. and five. I think a healthy squad and a soft schedule should easily win the division for them and potentially earn a bye, honestly, if the Packers, Cowboys, or Falcons have a drop-off this year, which I think the Cowboys will. So what, do you, what is your prediction for this team? And then uh, let's get into the fun business. Yeah, definitely I have them winning this division. Uh, one more quick thing that I forgot to uh, mention is that we got uh, – Two two new offensive linemen in Luke Jokel and Ode Abushi, and I think that they're gonna they're gonna lock that line down for for Russell Westbrook or 
Russell Wilson, and uh, I think I think they're going to go eleven and five or ten and six, and definitely be in contention for that first and round. They could use well. like uh, extra that. offensive linemen. So, all right. So before we get into the fun stuff, just a quick reminder: we are doing a eliminator challenge. The eliminator challenge is very simple. All you do is you pick a team to win a game each week of the season. The only rule is that you cannot pick the same team to win twice in a season. Let's so join the listener group for the BBB podcast for the Eliminator Challenge. All you do is you simply go online, search on ESP, search for the ESPN Eliminator Challenge, and then it'll ask you to join a group. The group name is the BBB podcast. It is an open group, so there's no password. All you have to do is join right there. So now that is it for NFL. We are going to talk about the big fight, the Mayweather versus McGregor fight. The date is August 26th, this Saturday. It will be at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. It will be a 12-round fight. Mayweather is 49-0 and with 26 knockouts. He is uh, listed at 5'8", 150 pounds with a 72-inch reach. McGregor is 21-3 and with 18 knockouts, albeit in the UFC. Listed at 5'9", 155 pounds and a 74 reach. How excited are you for this fight, Stairs? And what do you think? Just quick thoughts. I am stoked about it. Uh, the The best thing I think about it is the fact that they were able to make it happen. I think that we got, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting storyline regardless of the fight. It's it's aging Floyd Mayweather putting his undefeated uh, his undefeated record yeah, on yeah. the line, and essentially essentially you're uh, you're asking about his legacy, and if he loses this fight, it's severely damaged, and then you have the the firecracker in in conor mcgregor and he's you know just unbelievably exciting <laughs> yeah. uh, i i just think this is a brilliant fight all around i think it's a win-win situation no matter who yeah and it. i think uh, i think mayweather needs this fight uh it's definitely been reported that he owes like over 22 million dollars in taxes from like 2015 so yeah i think uh, yeah, yeah I think that, he has the yeah. irs he has the IRS if he could wait to yep. pay his taxes yeah, this year and build the fight. <laughs> um, you know, so let's go. Let's talk about each fighter's strengths and uh, what their case is to win. Obviously, the first one is Mayweather, and it's a pretty easy case to make. So, uh, you know, this guy, you know, just looking, everything is incredible about this guy. He has a great right hand. He doesn't telegraph his punches. I think he has great. Yep. Left hand. I mean, he has both. Both are good, though. Uh, he has a great right, great speed, timing, location of punches. He's a good counter puncher, uh, jab step back yeah. counter. Um, you know, he can go with the straight right hand and he can pretty much destroy a southpaw fighters, which is what Connor is. Um, you know, he, and he can throw that all night long. I think he, you know, he lets you think you can hit him and then he just does that shoulder roll and hits you with the right. And honestly, I think he's a great fighter that attacks like a snake almost and really baits opponents into bad spots. You know, he likes to wear you down with the body shots. He has great conditioning. He doesn't get tired. Uh, he's trained to always breathe out of his nose. And he'll, I mean, I've read that he'll have 15 to 20 sparring partners at a time, just run through each of them to the point where, you know, he, he trains for like something that is just unrealistic. And then the actual fight itself is nothing like he's been preparing for. So what do you think about Mayweather and just his, uh, overall talent and superiority on paper as it seems 
First off, sorry, I totally thought that you were saying that uh, McGregor had the good, <laughs> the good right nice. hand. Yeah, excuse me. So the first thing that jumps out to me is the fact that Floyd is smaller on just about every front. Um, it's pretty tight in terms of size. Uh, we got McGregor at 5'9", Floyd at 5'8". Uh, McGregor with a 74 inch reach and Floyd with 72, but that makes yeah, a difference. It definitely does. And Flo- Floyd is the type of guy who likes to fight from a distance. And in in his past, uh, I think going back over the th- the last 13 fights or so, he's he's been bigger than just about every single one of them. Um, and so it's it's going to be a different game for him fighting this guy that's that's bigger and longer than him so i i think yeah you know if there is one thing that is not absolutely elite about him is that he doesn't have as much power um as yeah as as mcgregor and you know but what he does try to do in in order to counteract that is he hits like he likes to hit the same spot over and over and he's very accurate and uh, he uses quick speed to hurt you and constantly wear down on that hurt spot um like I said, he uses that shoulder roll very effectively. He likes to use that right hand to block and avoid and avoids incoming punches, all while ready to counter right back. You know, he's very elusive. Also, he can be pushed up against the ropes and find a way out. Even if you hit him, this is the one thing that I've heard very often about fighters that have faced him. Even if you hit him and you think you got him really good, it's never clean. They never can hit him very perfect shot clean which just demoralizes his opponents, which is another thing that it, it is very common uh, fighters to, to say after the fighting him is that they just get demoralized, that they can't get to him, that they, that they, that they have been able to do that uh, to their sparring partners, but not to him. You know, he also reads punches very well. He's learned how to catch a jab and throw a punch with the same hand. Uh, his dad has taught him that. You know, and the other thing too that I think is pretty interesting is that he likes to study everything about you, like your entire background, your family. He knows everything that you do. Uh, he's also known for just like kind of like talking a little smack in the middle of punches or not punches of of uh, fights, telling you, nope, you're not going to get that. Nope, nope, nope. Gets in, he gets in fighters' heads for sure. So he's uh, he's definitely favored in this fight for a reason, uh, for all those reasons that I've just mentioned. So. What do you think about his uh, really his uh, mental aspect in, in terms of this fight? I think that both of these guys are relying heavily on, on being able to get into their opponents' heads one way or the other. You have uh, you have this big personality in Conor McGregor, and I think that he's gonna he's gonna try to do the exact same thing that Floyd's doing to him in terms of. Um, playing the mental game during the fight. So I, I expect the the winner of the mental game to be uh, to be the winner of, not to be the winner of the fight, but I think that the mental game is going to have uh, a large uh, a large effect on, on the fight. And it's going to be hard to notice that whenever we're watching, but I'm sure we'll, we'll know in the end who, uh, who won yeah. mentally? The the one thing I think McGregor can do uh, is definitely get him to the ropes. Uh, you know, try to yeah, get him to the ropes, sure. which you know that's pretty much what everyone will tell you. Get him to the ropes, um, and he likes to lean to the right to not try to give you a good head uh, shot to the face, shots to the head. 
but uh, instead throw like a lot of body shots and uh, try to wear them down that way. Uh, it, no matter no matter which way you go about it, it's going to be a monumental task to defeat him. So the one thing I did want to bring up the 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 glove weights that's been one of the more talked about points. So the UFC uses four ounce gloves. That's what McGregor is used to for the fight. Uh, the the actual fight that they will be doing this Saturday, they are going to be using eight ounce gloves instead of the heavier ten ounce gloves. I think it helps McGregor because obviously the eight ounce gloves are closer to the four ounce, which is what he's more used to. But Floyd usually fights with the eight ounce gloves, so he's definitely used to it. So, what do you think these gloves mean to the fight stairs? A uh, little to nothing. Uh, you know, we were we were just discussing the other day the fact that the um, the point of impact on the glove matters. We, we can't have McGregor hitting with the with the back of his hand or he can't he can't come around and hit him with the side of the hand so uh i i think that both of these guys are people who like to use the lighter style of gloves so i i don't think that this is going to make a big difference um you know floyd's floyd's a quick guy as it is and mcgregor's the same thing so i i I don't expect this to have a big difference And and i think that the U.S. or the excuse me, the Boxing Association or whatever it's called, uh, approved it unanimously unanimously for a reason. Uh, it's definitely going to make the fight. Yeah. So the 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 thing that I've been reading the most though is that this fight might be the heavily uh, the most heavily bet on fight in all of fight history. Uh, the current odds right now is Mayweather minus five hundred, McGregor plus three seventy five. And what I've been seeing is that that number it was actually at plus four hundred for McGregor. But they moved it down to plus 375, not because they think he's going to have a better chance of winning, but because they were just incurring way too much risk at people betting at plus 400. Um, You know, you would have somebody bet, uh, apparently a man bet 75,000 on McGregor to win at plus 400. And uh, the MGM official said that they would stand to lose over $2 million if that hit. So. There is a ton of money being bet on this fight. Um, 13 times as more bets on McGregor than there are on Mayweather, which I thought was very surprising. So what do you think about just in terms of what this fight is going to do in terms of like Vegas and also in terms of just the general public stairs? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't, don't really know a whole lot about the betting scene. But I am also surprised to hear that McGregor has so many more bets on him. I think that McGregor is more fun to bet on at this point. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I read that uh, Floyd Mayweather was thinking about betting $5 million on himself. <laughs> yeah, well, he, on himself. he sometimes and, does bet on himself. I mean, there's been kind of conflicting reports, but usually he'll have like, you know, one of his entourage, one of his like goons to go bet for him. So. Well, the crazy thing is he stands to make about $300 million yeah, on this fight, somewhere right? Somewhere between and, million or $400 million or so. Yeah. And so if he if he does that $5 million bet and it hits, he wins $1 million. So part of me thinks that he's doing it just to uh, push the odds more, oh, more yeah. in his favor. Yeah, possi- very possibly. Like, yeah, like I saw another man, he bet eight hundred eighty thousand dollars only to net a hundred and sixty grand like 
that is a ton of money to risk and not and I think that's why there's so many more bets on McGregor than Mayweather. It's just like, you know, you why would you bet so much just to like win a little bit and you know, there's just doesn't seem like much of a point. So what is your prediction for this big fight, Stairs? I'm taking Floyd Mayweather. And uh are you are you having him go in the distance or what? Oh yeah, yeah. As as we said the other day, if Floyd wins, it's definitely going to be twelve rounds. Uh, and I think if Floyd wins, it's going to be a unanimous decision. And if Conor McGregor wins, it's going to be. Yeah, I personally have this. I actually have the exact same prediction. I think Mayweather. Uh, you know, I think he's going to go 12, 12 rounds unanimous decision. I think that's pretty much the most common thing to uh, that people are saying, but. Hopefully it's an exciting fight. Hopefully McGregor brings it. Um, I'm hoping that his training is uh, paid off. So we will see. Let's get into the big Kyrie trade, the trade that just went down hours before we got on record. It is, yeah, right. It is huge. So the details of the trade: the Cavs will get Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizek, and a 2018 first round unprotected Nets pick that the that the Celtics had acquired. The Celtics will get Kyrie Irving alone. Um, first off, I want to talk about what each side means. So for the Cavs, I think that they win on paper as well as overall. Um, you know, the first round pick will almost certainly be a top 10 pick and a good chance to be a top three pick just because I really don't. I mean, I really don't see the Nets being that good this year. No, they suck. <laughs> so I think the and I also think that the Cavs are still likely one in the East next number one in the East next season. Um and I think they got much better defensively with Crowder. I think IT should be able to match the offensive skills of Kyrie. Um so I think the Cavs will be should be better this year than they were last year. I think IT's defense is bad, but Kyrie's defense wasn't good either. Um so I think the Cavs know I think a big part about this is the Cavs know LeBron could leave and I think they want to prepare to stay relevant in the event he leaves. So what do you think about the Cavs side of this trade? I totally agree with you. I think that they did this trade because it was evident that Kyrie was not interested in being the uh little sidekick anymore of LeBron and they wanted somebody to uh, base this franchise around once uh, it, it's you know it seems more and more clear by the day that LeBron James is gonna find the new home after this season. And so I think that it yeah. So that Celtics side and we'll talk about that too. The LeBron side. So the Celtics side, I think they have a pretty good starting five now. You got Kyrie, Marcus Smart, or Jalen Brown at the two. Uh, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris, Al Horford. You know they gave up a lot for this and I th- honestly think that they overpaid but you know by giving the Nets pick too um, but I think the reason that they gave it is because of uh, IT's hip injury um, that just because of fears that it could be worse but obviously what this signals to me is that the Celtics are trying to win now and I think that they believe LeBron is leaving and I think they believe that he's leaving toward a team in the West hint hint so I think that they're, they, they realized hey we need to cash in on these first round picks all these assets now you know, they got Kyrie at 26, Gordon Hayward at 27, Marcus Morris at 27, Marcus Smart at 23. Um, so I think that they clearly believe that their championship window is right now, you know, after this season, after this upcoming season. So, you know, I still don't think, I don't think this quite puts them over the Cavs for next season. Um, 
And I don't think this quite puts them over, uh, you know, or not quite, but I still don't think this puts them over Golden State. But, you know, it's good to see that another team is finally making a run outside of LeBron teams in the East. So what do you think about the Celtics side of this trade stairs? I really don't like really? it. Um, well, I, I like Kyrie Irving. I definitely think that Kyrie Irving is superior to Isaiah Thomas in terms of all around ability to improve a team. But I, I definitely feel like the price they paid was too steep, especially with that first round pick. Uh, the NBA is a, a league that can be affected heavily by a single player. And we see that every single year. And who knows who would be available in that, in that first round with, uh, with that Nets pick. So I think that uh, they messed up a lot, giving that away. And, even Jay Crowder, we saw him improve heavily after he left the Mavericks in that Rondo trade. Um, I'll be mad about that <laughs> forever. And and I I just think the Cavs won all around here. Um, I, it was pretty evident that Kyrie had a bad attitude um, in the in the playoffs and toward the end of the season, and that just doesn't seem like the kind of player that I want to have on my team. Um, so I'm 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 taking the cabs in this one. Every yeah, day. what I think is very interesting is it's it for Kyrie, who Kyrie was the first player off the board in 2011, yeah. <laughs> and it was the last player of that same draft, which yeah. is that's pretty crazy how remark how different things can change over a course of a few years. So the the one thing that I you know that I saw, which I I just love these stats. I mean, these players are very similar. So since 2012. Kyrie's field goal percentages to IT's Kyrie at uh, 0.457, IT 0.443, three-point field goal percentage, Kyrie 0.383, IT 0.367, free throw percentage, Kyrie at 0.8873, IT at 0.876, rebounds per game, Kyrie at 3.6, IT at 3.1, assists per game, Kyrie at 5.8, IT at 6.2. And the last one, points per game, Kyrie at 22.8 and IT to 23. So, you know, a lot of numbers, but pretty much what they say is that they're very, very, very similar in terms of production and not only shooting, but rebounding and assisting So and scoring. So I think that they're pretty equal um, in terms of offense on the offensive side of the ball, all things considered. So let's talk about what this means for LeBron. Almost everyone seems to agree that this guarantees LeBron is leaving after this season. And I personally agree with them. Most people seem to believe LeBron leaves for LA to join Lonzo Ball and potentially Paul George. So what what do you think uh, this means for LeBron stairs? And if he does leave, where do you think he goes? I think we're going to learn a lot about LeBron James uh, in this upcoming offseason. We'll see what happens with uh, this whole thing between the Pacers and the Lakers and how that affects where Paul George goes. But, uh, you know, it's kind of been a thought that LeBron James wants to stay in the Eastern Conference just because it's uh, more simple to make it to the finals. And frankly, I think if you stuck LeBron James on a team like the Raptors or the Bucks, that they could easily go to the finals in the Eastern Conference as well. Uh, just the problem is, is rings. And so, you know, why not, why not go join a team like heck the Rockets or, uh, you know, obviously the sexy pick is the Lakers, but, but we'll see. 
we'll we'll learn a lot about what LeBron James values and uh, what what he sees as, or you know, kind of how he values himself as an aging an aging superstar. After this. yeah, we've shown that he usually likes to go to a team that can win a championship that he can bring players to that he likes to live in. So I think those are definitely criteria that he will consider again. And I think L A honestly can check off most of those criteria. So. The one other thing that I wanted to talk about with this trade is that, you know, why why the Celtics didn't give up um, this much for Paul George or Jimmy Butler, who I think could be a little bit better. Um, You know, the Butler deal, the Bulls traded uh, Butler, Jimmy Butler, and a 16th overall pick who ended up being Justin Patton to the Timberwolves for Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and a 7th overall pick who ended up being Laurie and Mark Cannon, you know. I think that the the Celtics could have made a similar offer and which would have been much cheaper to get uh, Jimmy Butler, you know, instead of what they had to give up for Isaiah Thomas. The end of the Paul George trade too. the Pacers give up Paul George to the Thunder for Dick Victor Oladipo and DeMontis, DeMontis Sabonis. And the same, you know, same situation there. I think that they, they could have given uh, up much cheaper to get Paul George and in, uh, instead of having to give up so much for Kyrie you know, I think the Celtics must really like him because, you know, for them to give up so much uh, in respect to what they could have gotten for Butler, Paul George really speaks volume to what they must believe Kyrie can bring to them. Or maybe that's just because they're so used to watching the Cavs stomp all over them in the playoffs. So, you know, what do you think about uh, what, you know, yeah, you, you know, you said it that they gave up too much, but what do you think that in terms of what they didn't give up uh, for Jimmy Butler and Paul George? Well, I think that the biggest difference between Kyrie and Jimmy Butler slash Paul George is that Kyrie wins. And and I get that he's been with LeBron James, but you cannot tell me that the Cavs come back from three to one two finals ago and win that without Kyrie. This is a guy that hit huge shots the whole time. Uh, he's He's a big time player. He's shown that he can win in the NBA. You know, we've obviously Jimmy Butler and and Paul George can go win gold medals with Team USA. I don't think that matters. Kyrie is a winner in the NBA, and I think that that's the yeah. Best. So the one uh you know thing to note that I saw also is that the cat the odds for them to win as far as Vegas have it for both teams did not change. Uh, they the Cavs stayed at four to one before and after the trade, and the Celtics stay at, at ten to one. And the other cool thing is that Celtics at the Cavs on opening night, the very first game of the season. So that will be a ton of fun to watch. Anything else uh, you want to add on this very, very uh, information-loaded podcast, Stairs? Yeah, for sure. Just just ironic that um, uh, Kyrie Irving's chances of winning MVP double <laughs> and... Isaiah Thomas's. Oh half. man! Oh so, yeah, I guess that makes sense though. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, of course, of course. All right. So for the podcast, follow us on the BBB podcast on iTunes at the BBB Pod on Twitter. Please, people, please leave a five star review on iTunes for Eric Buffalo Chicken Douchebag Stairs. I am Joey Morales. Thank you for listening. 